so much for tuning into the program today. Today's sponsor is Whiskey River Tattoo. Whiskey River is a custom and walk-in tattoo and piercing studio. They specialize in traditional, neo-traditional, and realistic tattooing. They carry BBLA, neo-metal, and industrial strength body jewelry with a wide selection of implant-grade titanium jewelry as well as 14K gold. If you want to know more about Whiskey River, check them out at their website, whiskeyrivertattoo.com, or on Instagram at whiskeyrivertattoo. Now, without hesitation, the man, the myth, the legend, Joe Flanagan. Thank you, thank you, thank you, you, John Zontini. We're here. I'm Joe Flanagan, and I'm with the gang in this new effort on a new podcast to try and bring to you some interesting people and their careers, and sort of like a takeoff on Joe's job, which I did for 31 years at Channel 13. The members of our gang are Tony Zontini, his son, John Zontini, who posts this uh, production on his uh, media site, Birdmad Media, and Alfredo Torres, one-time member of the Bob FM staff and a Norva veteran and knows music people and works for veterans. So, we got a nice rounded gang here. And our guest today, we're so excited. We have Tom Vorlis, longtime owner operator over at the Narrow Theater in uh, beautiful downtown Norfolk on Collie Avenue. I found out he started in 1977 at the Narrow. And Tom, when you started, we're thrilled to have you here. When you started, what did you come up with as far as the name of the business? I like that long time owner. You make me sound like I'm 71. Oh, I am 70. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, Kench and I knew each other since the eighth grade, Kench Phillips. Wow. Um, Because I used to actually see his father on uh, commercials on Shock Theater, an old Channel 13 show that was on Friday nights. Yes. uh, who was, uh, you know, who was also Bungles, you know, great guy, great guy. Uh, and I think Joe, you interviewed him several I times did. in the past, Not right? too longer. Yep. Yeah. Because he passed away a couple of years ago, I think. Um, but, uh, so Tench, Tench's dad, Tench Jr. And his brother, Conley Phillips, um, had Phillips Brothers Rambler on Military Highway. And they used to do these campy commercials on Shock Theater. So anyway, let's go back to Azalea Garden Junior High School, eighth grade. Tench and I were in a, uh, an advanced math class and he sat behind me. And Tench is a slight fellow, you know, he's short and yeah. small. And uh, I had the nerve enough to turn around and say, are you any relation to Tench Phillips? And I always make the comment that, you know, I had, I could barely see him above the pencil holder. <laughs> and uh, he said, I am Tench Phillips. <laughs> anyway, from uh, from then on, we were friends and we remained friends through high school, taking all the same accelerated courses. You know, we thought we were real of smart. Course. And uh, he went to Georgia Tech. I went to NC State. We continued to stay in touch. And then in 74, after uh, graduation and everything, you know, we uh, got an apartment on Shirley Avenue, which is just five houses down from the Narrow Theater. At the time, wow. the Narrow Theater was showing bad R-rated movies. It wasn't really a porn house like the Wells used to be, but they were, you know, bad movies. And uh, and then, but suddenly, they, it was taken over by a group of actors, and they called it the Actors Theater. Uh, Jerry Rowe, Marty Rowe, all those people back in the day. And so they were trying to do vaudeville and um, 
movies that came, they were trying all kind of different stuff and we would always support it when we were doing it and it, and it turned out that in uh at thanksgiving of 74 tension and i had gone up with a friend to new york city for uh to see uh, a few things one of them was uh, since i'm a beetle nut sergeant pepper's lonely hearts club band on broadway oh, and wow. with ted neely who was in jesus christ superstar well it was just horrendous i mean it was terrible so at intermission, we all looked at each other and said, man, this is really bad. And our friend said, you know, well, over at the uh, Little Carnegie, they're showing some Bergman films. And I'm like, Bergman? He says, yeah, Ingmar Bergman. And I said, well, you know, is that the lady who was in Casablanca? He said, no, that's, that's Ingrid Bergman. This is Ingmar Bergman, a Swedish film director. Uh. I'm like, Swedish? You mean I got to read these movies? So nonetheless, we went over to the Little Carnegie. We saw The Seventh Seal and The Virgin Spring, which are two 1950s, heavy, religious, black and white, Swedish movies. And that changed everything. And really? suddenly movies became film. You know, before that, it was, you know, Airport and Hard Day's Night and James Bond movies. But suddenly it was film. It was something to talk about. So... Uh, when we came back about a year or so later, the Actors Theater showed some Bergman films. So all of our friends would go up to the Narrow and see these movies, walk back to our apartment, which once again was just five houses down, and um, talk about the movies and everything. So Tetch and I decided, well, maybe we should bring some Bergman films and rent the theater, which is what this guy had done. Uh, he had rented the, the Actors Theater, which still had Narrow up on the marquee. Uh, but they called it the Actors Theater. And um, so we did some, uh, we did six Bergman movies in the spring of 76, which was ironically the same time I met my wife. Hmm. And uh, we made a little flyer. We put them around everywhere. You know, I remember going down to the, you know, before it was the Opera House, it was the Center Theater and the arena on two mm -hmm. sides. And we thought there was some fancy thing going on at the center theater. So I was putting flyers on all the cars out in the parking lot. Turned out there was a wrestling match in there. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that drew much of those people. <laughs> um, so anyway, after that was a success, we started talking to the landlord about renting the theater and doing it for real. And uh, so, we start, so we signed the lease in, uh, in June of 77. And started showing movies there in uh, September. On September 7th, I think it was September 7th, we showed an evening free of previews, you know, just like an hour's worth of coming attractions. And then wow. for the following week or six days, we showed uh, one night we would show The Godfather 1. And if you saved your stuff, you can come the next night to see Godfather 2. So we alternated that through the week. And... Um, and then, you know, we called ourselves the Narrow Expanded Cinema, where there was a book called Expanded Cinema. We liked that name. Thought it kind of worked with narrow because, you know, people think narrow. Don't be narrow-minded. And, um, uh, and, and were narrow... You in uh, the beginning? Were well, you it, was, money? It, was, it was just like a hobby for us, you know. We thought it... You made enough that, we, yeah, we, yeah, we... Well, we... The, 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 that fall was quite successful. And then we said, man, we can show anything. So in the wintertime, we started picking these really crazy movies and it was difficult. We had a rough winter. But in the um, in the spring of 78, um, we uh, 
showed some first run movies Wednesday through Saturday, and then Sunday through Tuesday, we did the Metro Retro, which were six double features of MGM classics. And that really took off and that did great. And then that summer in July and August, we had a comedy festival and a Kelly Freeze science fiction festival. And that was huge. And then we were pretty much off and running. So we had to quit our regular jobs and devote all our time to the narrow. And then by the way, as far as the name, which was really your original question, um, narrow came from, uh, it was originally opened as a Kali theater in 1936. And Robert Levine, took it over in the uh, early to mid sixties and changed the name to narrow because he named all the theaters that he owned in the area after his parents, Nathan and Rose. So down the street from us was the Memrose theater on 35th street was the Rosna theater, which was also the Cinerama theater. Ocean view had the Rosalie. He also owned the town theater, which is now where um, on princess Anne and colonial where Knox Towers is next to the Harris Theater. Town was uh, Rose's maiden name. And I had the Riverview and the Suburban and he had other theaters. As a matter of fact, at the Riverview, he played, you know, the Sound of Music. That's what the Riverview was always famous for, for nearly three and a half years. Uh, Yeah. So that was my first day, too, back in 1967. I I picked up Janie Thompson, took her to the movies, took her back home. That was it. (laughs) <laughs> um, but uh, and then we needed a corporate name so when we needed a corporate name and since uh, Tension and I were, I had, well I forced him into being a Frank Zappa fan also uh, one of Frank Zappa's albums was called We're Only In It For The Money and I said well let's call ourselves We're Only In It For The Money Incorporated and that's too long you know and then we said well you know one of his conceptual continuity things was ARF A-R-F so it's an art, art, art repertory films incorporated. So that is now that has remained the corporate name of the narrow. That's uh, where cool. I. That's where I. That's what I filed the taxes under. And we only very made cool. it. We really made it because we were very hands on. I mean, my degree was in accounting, so I did all the books. I always did all the taxes, all the payroll taxes. I did all that. We never used an accountant for anything or a lawyer. Uh, I mean, a lawyer for a few things, but not much. Um, and, uh, you know, we would take tickets, we would clean the theater, you know, we, in the early days we were doing everything. And of course we always booked all the movies. We, we would put together the schedule and mail it out. Uh, so it could only have happened by being so hands-on. You have to start paying people to do stuff. You couldn't do it. Single screen theaters are becoming rarer and rarer all the time. So... Yeah. Let me let me ask you a question. So uh, I get the feel that as you were starting, it wasn't uh, it wasn't a, a regular theater, but more it sounds like more of an art house kind of uh, a vibe that it had to it back then. Well, the the narrow when it was built in thirty six as a Kali theater was a was a B movie house. The big movie houses were the Lowe's, the Grandby, sure, sure. you know, all the, they were beautiful theaters. Nothing like Richmond has, you know, like with the Bird Theater or anything like that. But they were still very nice theaters. I mean, I remember the Lowe's Theater. I think they had like three balconies and they had alcoves and all that kind of stuff, you know, boxes. Um, but when we took over, a group of actors had taken it over, had started renting the theater from the Stein family who had taken, who had gotten the theater through a foreclosure 
on Robert Levine. Levine, yes. And uh, not Levin, Levine. Um, And the Stein family, they were, you know, successful. They were a bunch of siblings. They were all successful. They were lawyers and doctors and everything. But they had really inherited their father's um, estate, which his father owned all the land that Linhaven Mall was built on. So they were fine. Um, but they've been very fair with us. So anyway, the, a group of actors had taken it over in, in 1974 and were doing a variety of different things, none of which was really working. Right. So uh, so we that's when we took it over. And, you know, like I say, Nero always remained on the marquee, even though they called themselves the Actors Theater. It was still the, the I guess it was the Actors Theater at the Nero. Right. You am a... I, I, been to, I used to live in, in, in uh, Ghent, and you, you were only three blocks away from where I lived. So I, right. I, I spent many days there. Right. Um, uh, what made you decide to start showing um, <clears throat> local stuff? As- well, we, we've always really evolved through the whole thing. You know, when we started in 77, there was barely cable. You know, right. VHS was still in a war with beta, you know, back in those days. Wow. So it was, you know, it was not sure what was going to happen there. So back in the early days, it was, you know, it was more fun because secretly there were two things I always wanted to be. And I've told this to Joe before. The weekend weatherman, I wanted to be a weekend weatherman. But, you know, uh, now you have to have a meteorological degree to even get on the air. Yes. So uh, that was out of, that was out of the question. Uh, and, or I wanted to be a DJ. And I always told this to Eric Warden, too, and I would go on there and promote the, the Greek festival or something. Right. I, said, I love being on the radio. I, tell you, I would say the same thing to Dick Lamb, you know, when he would put me on. I loved having that microphone and being able to talk. And <laughs> even though I, I'm not really... Even though I'm talking a lot now, I don't really have, I'm a quiet person normally. No, you're uh, good. You're good. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, well, I, now I forgot the question. I got off track or the comment. But anyway, uh, I forgot. Oh, it, was, it, was, it was about local. Uh, oh, yeah, local. Yeah, so it, we were always evolving. And we always, that's why we never bought the building. Because we always thought, well, you know, now cable's coming in or now uh, you know, VHS is coming in. People are, video stores are opening up. We, you know, we were limited. Well, you know, then DVDs came around. Uh, we're dead. You know, then Blu-ray, now streaming. Uh, but somehow we always evolved and we would, you know, we would just change with the times and try to show different things. And uh, as, as far as local films go, we would tell people, you know, it's, we don't want to take the chance. So if you rent the theater, you will rent it to you for this much. You give us your your movie. We, it has to be at, at one time it had to be on sixteen millimeter or thirty five right. millimeter film. Now it has to be. We could do it off of a computer, but we'd rather have a DVD. We say you know it's better if you can convert your your uh, file to a DVD, which is easy to do if you know how to do it. Um, and uh, uh, and then we just rent them the theater. We say, look, any money that comes in through the box office and you charge admission, you get to keep. Uh, we keep concessions, of course, but we'll have it fully staffed and all that. So, you know, that's how it really became. Now, one of the things that's been successful and continuous has been this 48-hour film project. I was Yeah, I was going to get to that. Yeah. That, uh, can, yeah. can you explain it, what it is, uh, for our listeners who might not know? 
Yeah, it's uh, and we are doing it again this August. Nice. Um, that uh, what you get teams together. I think that I don't know if there's a certain theme that has to you can pick there, from. I think uh, there is. Yeah, there is. Yeah, and uh, you have there's a certain period that they give you, and I think it's sometime in July, early July or so, or mid July, and you uh, you can make a movie. And it has, it can only be so long and you have to complete the entire process in 48 hours and then submit it. And then Jeanette Rainey, who is the one that runs it now, um, picks the films that they'll show and then they show them over two nights. And then on Saturday, uh, they show the best of those movies. It's it's great what a for great lo- idea. Yeah, it's great for local filmmakers. Oh yeah, it's fantastic. I know I know a bunch of guys who who um have done it and 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 have really enjoyed the process. Um, yeah. And and you know what? It's picture a local band getting their record played on on radio to for for local um, director and producer and local actors to be able to see themselves on the big screen. Yeah. You know that's a dream come true for a lot of people. Yeah. Yep. It's great. And, you know, I used to, back in the day of uh, VHS and everything and DVDs, I would, whenever the family would take a trip or something, or if there was a special occasion like Mother's Day or something, I would make little movies, but it was very crude that I would have to sync the, the, the picture with the sound with a little disc man that I would have and put them into a mixer. And I, I am regretting that I have not learned yet how to do iMovie or anything like that. But right. that is one of the projects because we just finished going, well, my daughter down in Charlotte, daughter number one and her family of five, um, wanted to go to Disney World, uh, which we just finished doing a couple of weeks ago. We were there for a week and I took a lot of little movies. And so I've got them all together. I just haven't transferred them to iMovie to make a little movie and everything. But I will say I, I highly recommend not going to Disney World in the summer. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. The I, lowest, lived in I lived in Florida. Oh, my God. The lowest I, I agree high with that all one. week. The, the lowest high was 95 degrees. And, uh, no. I, and it, humid. And yes. Humid. Yeah. And for me, I don't like anything above 75. You know, I <laughs> that's why I wanted to be a weekend weatherman, because I wanted to be able to predict snow like uh, that weatherman on Wavy back in the day used to do. <laughs> he used to predict <laughs> snow. Well, I can't remember his name. Bud Cates. No, that was a sports guy. Anyway, I can't remember. So, <laughs> so let, okay. So, let me ask you, um, Tom, we've been talking about movies, but uh, you keep bringing up the uh, equipment. I imagine the equipment has changed a lot since 1977. Were you using uh, uh, projectors at that time? And then uh, when did when did you have to? Back in 77, we had in the booth two Bauer 3570 projectors. They could project in 35 millimeter. They could project in tot AO, which is 30 frames per second, or they could project in 70 millimeter, which was back then the ultimate. Because <clears throat> um, you could also get magnetic sound, six track stereo sound, which was on the sides of the uh, frames. Um, and then the way movies were made, always. They would come in two big cans, metal cans, and there would be six to eight reels in there, depending on the length of the movie, each reel being about 20 minutes. Up until about 10 years or so ago, every movie you ever saw, 
In the upper right-hand corner, after about 20 minutes, you would see a little circle. And that circle would indicate to the projectionist that you're seven seconds away from switching over to the other projector. Wow. Um, so what would, what would happen is he would load up the first reel on one projector, load up the second reel on the other projector at the seven-second countdown mark. First projector runs, everything's running, the movie. That first little circle comes up back when you did it manually. When he saw that first circle, he would start that second projector at seven T minus seven seconds. Then when this the second circle would come up on the projector that is playing the movie, that's time for him to change over. He would hit the button and it would change. The, <laughs> the dowser would change on one projector, open up on the other one. The sound would switch over and the movie would continue. You don't really see it. Although you, I knew when it was happening because you could yeah. tell the light was still trying to get to its maximum, you know, That's flickering a process a right there. Yes. So what our projectionist did is two things. One, and he would be able to build up two reels on one projector and it would still fit into the magazine. Oh, so wow. therefore he got 40 minutes worth of film and he wouldn't have to make so many changeovers. Then he also automated it by putting a little magnetic strip at the seven second mark of the projector that's playing and then that would cue to go over. So he didn't have to manually do it anymore. Wow. Um, now, what most movie theaters would do is they would have these things called platters or towers, where they would build a whole film up on one projector. On one, Yeah, he'd build a whole film up, on, and it would be on a platter that would go around and around, then come out, and then turn, make another turn, make another turn, go through the projector, then go down and then reload on another platter underneath it. That was why you would quite often get little scratches when you would go see a film that had been out for a while. You would watch a movie and there'd be this green scratch going along the right side. That means one of those rollers wasn't in alignment or anything. Hmm. So um, as a matter of fact, if you ever saw, I don't know if you had anybody ever watched Mank on Netflix, it was the story of... Uh, Joe Mankiewicz, who wrote Citizen Kane. It was done by uh, the guy who did Seven, fin Fincher. Yeah, just um, what, two years ago? Yeah, last actually, year? yeah, it was last year. It was, last it, was year. it was nominated for Best Picture this yeah. past year mm -hmm. and cinematography and others. And it may have won for cinematography, but he shot it in black and white. And he, even though it was done digitally, he still put those little cue marks every 20 minutes in the upper right-hand corner, which wow. I thought was a nice touch. So anyway, we could, we had these projectors up until 2013 when uh, one of the movies coming out was um, uh, Dallas Fires Club, Matthew McConaughey. Good oh, movie. Yeah. It, was it was released by Focus and it was only going to be released digitally. And so I we had no choice because we wanted to play that movie uh, than to go digital. So, um, you know, we started shopping and everything. So we bought a digital projector. We had to buy a digital server, all this kind of stuff. It was an $80,000 investment, which was tough. Wow. To do. Uh, luckily, we did a, a fundraiser thing, which the Nero is famous for. Um, and uh, really, the community ra almost raised enough money to, for us to get that projector. The way that projector works, and we still have our 35s up there, but in between them is a digital projector. 
instead of getting these big cans of films now, you can download it from space. But since we're a single screen, it's kind of cost prohibitive. It's easy if you have 12 or 18 screens, but for a single screen, it's too different. It's too cost prohibitive. They send us the DCP, digital cinema product, or I don't know, processing. Um, and it's a small little hard drive. You get that hard drive, you insert it into the server, and it ingests into the server. The server will speak to the projector, but it won't be able to speak to it until you enter the digital key, which the distributor sends you usually the day before you open the movie. I mean, because in the old days, when you would get the physical film, if we wanted to, which we may have done occasionally, you just show the movie, (laughs) you know, without them knowing that you're showing the movie. Right. Um, And, but now you're limited, you know, it's the, the key, it'll unlock the film at midnight on Thursday, and then you open the film on Friday, and then it will turn it off midnight on the following Thursday night, or very early Friday morning, um, if that's when it expires. And then sometimes, then they have to send you a new key for the second week. Sometimes wow. they send you, sometimes they send you a key that's good for four weeks or something like that, and you don't have to go through all that mess. Amazing. So that's how it works. So we're at the mercy of a computer, which really <laughs> I hate because I don't really know all the ins and outs of how that computer works. But because there have been times when you go in there and the, and on the back of the projector is a red light, which means it ain't going to work. You got to it's got a problem. You got to fix it. Wow. Let me uh, let me ask you this. When you started in 77, were you still showing newsreels and cartoons and and and, and, and all of the uh, fun stuff that used to uh, come along? No, they were. We never showed cartoons before movies, except we do do that sometimes with the Mal Vincent series. Right. Um, but, uh, and newsreels were not available at that time. Uh, I'm not quite that old. But, uh, <laughs> but, and, and they're not even available. I mean, we couldn't get them. I tried but to you, find them see, on film, but they're so much fun. I'm gonna, I, I, I'm, I remember, I, I remember this is 77. I was, I was uh, 11 years old and I went to go see Star Wars and they showed I don't know what you would call. I would call it a newsreel about the accident that uh, the the Skinner plane crash. Oh right! Wow! Right, and I remember seeing that before Star Wars. Now, do you remember wow. where you saw Star Wars? Oh uh, yeah, in, in Manhattan. This oh okay. Oh, in New that, York. That, that could be the reason. Okay, Manhattan, but it, it was they probably it, had the ability. So it was it, that was the closest thing I ever got to experience the old you know newsreels. Right. And, yeah. Right. And, and I always thought that was cool. Um, yeah, we tried. I remember there was a period there where we were, you know, as I say, we were always evolving uh, of trying to find some newsreels, either before the Mal thing or just before an older movie, because we do show classics also. Right. Uh, but we could never find them and never definitely on not on 35. Now you can probably go on YouTube. I, I've never even tried on YouTube. You could probably find some of these newsreels. Um, because they were fascinating. I do remember seeing them when I was a kid. Yeah, me too. In the 60s, you know, yep, um, yep, yep, yep. newsreels before movies. And, uh, well, you know, but now, you know, it's 24-hour news on, you know, in the right. stations. I'm not going to admit, I'm not going to admit any of that. <laughs> I was, you know, I was just about to ask you what your memories were of uh, movies in Ocean View. Well, you know, the Rosalie, right down there on, uh, 
Ocean View Avenue. Because that's grandma's yeah. name. <clears throat> yeah, that's my right. that's my mother's name. And uh man, we used to go in there, popcorn ten cent, you know, um hide it hide up in the balcony. Right. And stuff. Uh, yeah. And it was right across the street from the amusement park. What yeah. a what a what a uh, combination uh, combination! <laughs> yeah. You had the amusement park, than that. And wow. the Rosalie wow. Theater, right, right wow. across the street. But that and I lived close enough that I could walk. To, See, that, uh, and that, that that's a hell of a Saturday. And the, uh, and back the then, day at, the, at the amusement park, and then a and then a nice uh, double feature, especially, especially the when the uh, the amusement park had ten set day. But you could just <laughs> your grandma could just be like, okay, guys, go go entertain yourselves. And Here's a dollar. Take care. Wasn't, yeah, uh, wasn't there a Rosalie restaurant? Didn't there evolve a restaurant in Ocean View called Rosalie's? No, no, it was Rosie's. Now Rosie's, okay, Rosie's, Rosie's. was on First View Street. About a block, okay. but no, actually about a half a block from from the Holy Trinity Church where I went to church. So what the boys yeah. would do, we'd go up in the balcony, and uh, as the church started, we'd slide out and go to <clears throat> and go to Rosie's, and we always knew exactly <laughs> how long the mast would last. Right. So we'd get back as the people were coming out of church and we were asking everybody so what did priest do his sermon on today <laughs> so we'd get all the we get all the inside after leaving rosie's you got the poop and, yeah we got the it. poop uh, and, funny, and my funny. mother asked me what did the priest talk about today i knew right right <laughs> you know so was, the, Rosie, was rosie's breakfast lunch and dinner you know or i always it was had lunch it was there. a bar Okay. I was going to say the Rosie's that I know was not the kind of place you skip in church you to, to go to a bar. If you went to Rosie's, yeah, the Rosie's buddy. that I remember, and it wasn't in it wasn't in Virginia, it was in another state. Um, you would have to go to church after you went there. That's, right. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Just, just walking in made you go to church. Yeah, exactly. Tom so, so, Morless, uh, bless these I did a lot today. of feature stories for Channel 13 over at Narrow, and mm -hmm. I remember a couple of them had to do with dire times where uh, you guys were in big, big, big trouble. Did did the, the fundraising to get people's names embossed on seats, was that one of the periods where you needed money big time? Or were you trying to raise money for a new projector? No. Well, that was in uh, 2000 and 2001. We were getting ready to renegotiate a new lease. And the landlord suddenly wanted more than we thought we could pay or could afford. You know, plus we had to be able to, we had to take care of the roof. We had to take care of, we basically had to take That's care right. of everything. Had to take care of everything. So, you know, and there were several uh, newspaper and TV things about it all. And one of the articles in the uh, newspaper was with Tench, and he was saying that, you know, every year since we opened, although the very first year, no one had ever heard of the movie and we couldn't find it. But since 78, we've shown It's a Wonderful Life. And it's hard to believe that in 77, we called all our distributors because we wanted to show that movie at Christmas. Nobody had ever heard of It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, my That's very goodness. Strange. Well, no, at the time. At it the makes time. Sense because remember, the movie wasn't a big hit when it came out. Exactly. Okay. All right. And so, and Tench knew the movie because he said that Channel 13 used to show it every New Year's Eve as their late show back in the day. Yes. Applause. <laughs> and uh, 
So, uh, so we finally found that movie in 78 and we showed it every year since. And that is actually when the resurgence nationally started happening. So we, not only do we take responsibility and credit for revitalizing Ghent, but we also take responsibility for revitalizing It's a Wonderful Life and you throughout the world. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, um, he made the comment in the newspaper article that, you know, if you've ever seen the movie It's a Wonderful Life, Clarence comes down and saves George. What we need is a Clarence to help us get through this thing. So it was a couple of days later. I go up to the office and there is, and you know, we needed like, I thought we needed $140,000 to do all the work that was needed to be done in the theater. Uh, And uh, so I went up to the office and at the door of the office was a little letter to, from Clarence. And I was like, Oh my God, what is this? I I said, I'm going to open this thing up and it's going to be a $140,000 check in there. (laughs) I was getting very excited. Well, I opened it up and there was a check for $50 from some lady in Portsmouth who said, maybe this will go toward, you know, helping to your goal. Right. Um, So when Tinch came in, I said, you know, we should start a nonprofit organization called the Clarence Foundation and raise money. And at this time, we had been meeting with the Economic Development Department like every other week for several months. And finally, when it came down to the end, they, after hearing all this, they said, look, we would love to help you, but we don't have any means to help. We can't do anything. So I was like, well, this was kind of a waste of time doing all this. Um, but after I, I mentioned that we were thinking about doing this fundraiser thing, I got a call from Paul Frame, mayor at the time. And he said, look, if you guys could raise $70,000, I'll get the city to grant you $70,000. I said, well, okay. So we started this Clarence Foundation with several levels. You could buy an armrest of fame in the middle for, I think we were charging $125 for the armrest of fame. If you got on the aisle, it was 150. It was a little less if you went in the balcony. Also, you could, there were different levels. If you gave us $5,000, $5,000, you could have the theater to yourself and show any movie you wanted or something. Um, and uh, of course, it was quite controversial. A lot of articles written about it that the city was giving a private business $70,000 stay in business. And I totally understood where that was coming from. But this was a little bit of a different animal in a way because we were such a magnet for so many people from all over Hampton Roads and such a love theater. Uh, and beloved by many people um, because they think it's their own theater. You know, we would have customers walk in the door and when they walk up to the concession stand, their popcorn raisinets and small diet Coke is already ready because they know behind the concession stand, that's what they're going to order. So we ended up on our own raising $150,000. Wow. Good. The, nice. The, the city gave us the 70 with the stipulation we had to remain in, in uh, business for 10 years. And of course, everything I thought that would cost $140,000 cost over $220,000. Oh. So we everything we brought in, it all went out. None, Titch and I took none of that money or anything. It went, all went in there. So, uh, and you know, we did new seats, new roof, uh, you know, this and that, whatever, new curtains, um, 
fix up the project. I think we even got new 35 millimeter projectors too, because the other ones, wow. the Bauer project, the Bauer projectors were German projectors and getting very difficult to get parts. So we got these new projectors, which said bye bye to 70 millimeter capability, but that was okay. Um, were you able to uh, were you able to stay open while you were doing that? Yes, we did the seats in sections. Uh, I do remember that we and we would still show Mal when we would get a new movie and we would get it in a day or two early and screen it for Mal, who only comes out at night, um, like at you know midnight for him, and uh, he would come with a few of his a few friends or some guy. You know, he always had a crew with him coming to see a movie, and. Um, I remember who was that? Mal Vincent. Mal Vincent. He's the Mal Vincent. Yeah, the critic for the newspaper. Right. Okay. And uh, who hosts our summer classic festival, which does very well. I've been Uh, to it many, many times. Yeah, is so entertaining. Yeah, to hear Mal's colorful stories of everybody in the movie. Yeah, because he's talked to them. He has interviewed them in his fifty-plus years of being a a movie critic for the Virginia Pilot. Right. Stories. Is he Mal still Vincent. around? He's yeah. still around. He's still going to do it. Although, you know, the, the paper let him go months short of his 50th anniversary of the paper, which was kind of too bad. I mean, they should have just said, like, stay a couple more months and we can have a celebration on, you know, it's somehow right. in the paper. But that didn't happen. But he continues to write for him occasionally, but it doesn't get the coverage that he used to by any means. Well, the paper, come on, the new Virginia pilot now is something <laughs> yesterday's yep. news. It's really sad. Yep. Um, so anyway, that's how we had all the armrests of fame in there, and, you know, throughout the whole, every seat got sold out. Um, and uh, it's almost time to do something. Well, there is a grant that's out there, the Wait, Shuttered Venues grant. Are you going to announce something right here on the show? Uh, well, I would love to. <laughs> and I will announce that the Shuttered Venues grant, SVOG, was passed by Congress in December. And uh, but it didn't they didn't finally announce that it was going to go live until um, April 8th. And daughter number one, once again, who likes to travel and get out, you know, just especially during the pandemic, but go to safe places. They all went to Hilton Head since, you know, she's got three kids, seven and under, wherever the kids go, you know, as grandparents, you got to go with them to, yep. to create those memories. So we went with them down to Hilton Head when it was during the time this Grant was going to become live. So I had to take my Mac with me, all this information, all the, you know, <laughs> everything with me to prepare to get on uh, the site and download the, there were have to be 50 different documents that I had to provide tax forms, notarized statements, these other weird forms, all kind of stuff from the state, but I was prepared. So the thing goes live at noon on this Thursday. I'm getting on there. Nope. Getting on. Nope. Getting on there. Nope. Finally, it goes live. I start answering some questions and I try to download some of the documents. Cannot download documents. Try again in 15 minutes. Cannot download documents. Finally, about Uh. three or four hours later, they announced uh, we are retooling this site and we will let you know the thing crashed. Um, I was going to say, uh, I probably did. Yeah. So uh, this is all funded by the SBA. Um, so uh, it finally went live. I think it was uh, April 26th. It was like three weeks later or so. Um, and they, they said it was all good. I was there, you know, going, going live at 12 noon. 
at right at 12 noon, I think I may have gotten, you know, after I hit refresh, it took two seconds for me to get on. I did get on. I was number 6834 in line. After two <laughs> seconds. Wait a minute, wow. wow. 68. 6,834. Oh, 6, oh, oh, holy mackerel. So luckily, everything went pretty quickly. I got on in probably about 45 minutes. And wow. then I started downloading everything. There was one thing I said, oh, my God, I don't have that information. They didn't tell me I needed this thing. So yeah. I, I told Joanne, I said, stay right here. It may say, you know, are you still there or something? I got to run up to the office. I only live two blocks away. I live on Marty Avenue. So I, I ran up there, got the information that they needed the P&Ls for 2021, which I, they didn't say they needed, uh, you know, for the first three months of the year. So I got back, got that on there. So then they say, we'll start letting people know in a few weeks and we'll start dispersing funds by the end of May. Well, I never heard anything. Never heard oh. anything. I go, I go on the site. I finally would go on. The, I was actually afraid to go on the site to see what my application status was. Um, but I did go on there about three weeks ago and it said, you know, after- and Tom, just to add, just to add to the drama, what was at stake here? How much money could you have been granted just to build the drama? It was, uh, it was a low three fig, uh, six figure amount. Oof. Oh, so it you was, had to it was substantial. Hang with it was it. substantial. Especially after a year of, of being closed. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, the stipulation was you have to remain open for, for four years after you get this grant. It's only for specific wow. expenses. You know, right, right. can't use it to buy a new building or anything like that. So, um, so anyway, finally, Friday a week ago, I got an email saying that my application has been approved. There were a few things I had to send back. I sent them back and I've been reading that funds are usually dispersed within three days. And I still haven't seen anything yet. So uh, well, they have to get the stuff back that you had right, to send right. back. So. so I don't know when we're going to see this, but you know, our lease at the theater is actually up on Wednesday. But I have talked to the landlord, and I said I talked to him, a, you know, a couple months ago, saying, you know, we should probably start talking about the parameters of what new lease we want to work out here because. Even though Tench and I want to step back, we have two girls that have worked for us for decades, Teresa and Atlanta, and um, they want to kind of take over. And I said, you know, they can take over and we'll continue to stay on as consultants and advise them on how to book a certain film. I can maybe continue to do the books and taxes and all that. Um, but we haven't, we can't even do that until we have a lease. And the landlord said, we'll just see how the summer goes and we'll, talk about uh, the lease at that point. So, nice. I mean, they've been very fair with the lease. Very good. The they know how valuable that we are because they also own the building to our left. If you're facing the theater, which houses Chipotle, the offices upstairs where we have a small office and the building in between, there's a space in between Chipotle and us. that was fruitive, but they closed. And actually Chipotle rents that space, but I think someone else is, been talking about going in there, but I don't know who they are. Well, Tom, and I'm sure they're getting big, big bucks from Chipotle. So let me ask you also, as we go along here, this is all you've ever done since 1977. Is that correct? I mean, is this how you made a living? Yeah. I mean, it afforded me the opportunity because we did, you know, well, and I, you know, I'm not an extravagant spender and, 
neither is my family, luckily, until now that we're almost, you know, getting social security and pensions from <laughs> Joanne from, from Joanne's Norfolk Public Schools. Um, uh, we've it allowed us to like dabble into real estate investing and buying and selling real estate and all that. So I've made some money that way also. But yes, my occupation has only been the narrow. That I, you know, you mentioned midnight. And uh, one of the things that the Narrow is famous for are the showings of Rocky Horror Picture Show. Right. I'm a New Yorker. I grew up when it became a big deal in the 80s, in the early 80s. Right. Um, and really blew up to the cult classic uh, that it did. What made a little theater in Norfolk, Virginia, decide that this was the right place to bring a cult classic like uh, like Rocky Horror Picture Show um, that at the time was only in New York. It was uh, L.A. It was right. that kind of a place. What made you decide to, to start doing that? Well, we would um, we would always still get the New York Times and, you know, L.A. Times sure. and different trade magazines. And then the, the landmark theater chain was throughout the country and they would always put out schedules with double features. Some of them did double different double features daily. It was just phenomenal. And that's where we would get our ideas. Yeah. We would get our ideas from them. And also in Washington, there was the biograph theater, which also put out a schedule. Uh, so we would get all these schedules in and see what everybody was playing. And we saw the Rocky Horror picture show as being a movie that some of them were doing as uh, it started to be late shows. And I think we started showing it in sometime in 78. I just remember it well. And it was a regular show. It wasn't, I don't even think it was a late show. I think we had it as like a regular show. And I was taking tickets. Tench was selling tickets. <coughs> and I remember him opening the door to the box office and looking at me and said, I think we got a hit. <laughs> and so we started showing it uh as a late show every friday night i think we would also on friday night we show rocky horror and, and then on saturday night we showed the first film from the first major film from my all-time favorite director david lynch eraserhead and another uh, another, another cult classic uh, yes. So we would show those two movies and then we'd also at times show, you know, different late shows on on Saturday. But Rocky became the standard late show and it just grew and grew. And there were a group of people who would who would act it out, you know, sure. on stage and they became Fishnet Incorporated and they got very elaborate. They had all these huge sets that they would have to pull out <laughs> when we would show the movie and all this kind of stuff. Uh, we did end up reducing it to every other week and eventually just do once a month. Once a month, yeah. Um, and, of course, on Halloween night when it was the big night, we'd have, like, you know, two shows, 7.15, 9 o'clock show or whatever. Probably, no, I think it was more like 7 and 9.30 to give time in between. And um, uh, and we'd have four to 500 people in those two yeah. shows. It was huge. Now, we haven't restarted it yet, and to tell you the truth, our concession help has always hated Rocky Horror. Oh, I wonder why. Yes. <laughs> uh, now, we did ban them from using too much, you know, they used Rice to come in and, and throw and everything. Toast, yeah, we ban all that, but the cast would sell little packets of things that we would allow them to throw. And, you know, plus we used to have fans on the ceiling to help circulate air 
uh, or to, you know, like either to draw the cool air down or right. get the hot, hot air up. Um, and they would throw toilet paper and it would invariably oh. catch on one of those blades. Oh so, oh you know, they're watching the movie <laughs> on screen and in the middle of the movie is a shadow. <laughs> in the yeah. Wow. And, um, so well, Vic, so Vic, our, just real fast, our uh, Vic, our uh, cleanup guy, great older Filipino guy who made a part-time job, a full-time job and was like the mayor of Collie Avenue after a while. He hooked up a bunch of sticks and wires or metal pieces together and a hook at the end, and he would oh. go up there. And then, of course, <laughs> the ceiling is 35 feet high oh, and geez. get the toilet paper off. That, See, um, Tony, that's why he lasted so long. He's had all this fun in this career. Why switch? Right. Yeah, but, absolutely. Know, it, it, um, but, uh, I've had Rob Floyd, who was part of uh, right. uh, a fishnet, Inc., tell me stories of doing Rocky horror and he would play Frankenfooter. Right. Um, and yeah. And, and I got to do it. The first time I got to see it at the narrow was on, um, was on Halloween. Right. Wow. You know, and yeah, it was literally one of those things where I was walking down. I had just moved to Ghent. So this might've been Oh, Oh two Oh three. And I'm walking down and, the narrow was right there, and it, you know, late night, people were hanging out, and it just said Rocky Horror. I, I want to say like eleven o'clock or something, or midnight, whatever it was. Yeah, and I'm like eleven thirty usually. Yeah, yeah, 11, and I'm like, yeah, what the hell? And I went over <laughs> there, went in, and, and and it was the full production. It was very new, like New York, because wow. I got to see Rocky Horror in New York in the '80s, and I was just like, this is awesome. Wow, and that was actually what made me fall in love with the uh, with the narrow. Well, one of the things. I, as I said, you know, the concession stand always hated it. And the two girls that had taken over, of course, started as concession people. Uh, they don't really want to continue Rocky. And I'm, and I'm telling them, I said, well, you know, you might want to rethink that because you're going to want to play it at Halloween. And I still think if you did it once a month, they, they just have a problem with the cast because they had all their stuff that they bring out would take them a half an hour to bring it. And they had big sets and they'd bring them all out, had to put them on the stage and then take them down. And then they would want practice time. Like you got to practice. Oh. And, you know, they wanted to know, what night can we get in there to practice? And, you know, nobody wanted to do that. So I don't know the fate of Rocky. I really don't want it to end, but if they can somehow figure out a way to continue to do Rocky, just don't have the sets, just have people on stage dressed up as character they don't need all these sets they can Not do any, it yeah. they can do it without it yeah. and uh because i think it would i think it would still do well but you know i can only push them so much right hey, tom i know we're, we're running into uh the time but we have we, no we, time limit now well, we're we on do, a roll here baby we we'll do. go two hours <laughs> with this one we are i'm telling you we are on a roll because this is really a cool conversation yeah. but Believe i mean i'm very you. shy <laughs> i understand yeah. I, I can see that now uh, after never meeting you before, but, but yeah, you do, you do appear a little shy, right. yeah. but uh, uh, so the Oscars, if you were doing the Oscars based on what you've done at uh, the narrow, who would be your best picture or what would be your best picture actor director? Let's just do those three. 
Actor well, and actress. You got to do actress. Oh, yeah. Actress. Oh, wow. Goodness. Yeah. Jesus. What are you trying to John, get rid of? Come on. You're trying now, to get rid man. of our trying audience? To get us, yeah. John. <laughs> yeah. I have to edit that one, huh? John, you got to edit that one. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's like, <laughs> no, no, Tony. You'll be the one at fault. <laughs> the Oscars are always so political, really. And it's hard to say. You know, and I didn't really see. And it, of course, it always depends on the year. Um, because last year, I didn't really see too many movies. You know what? For, forget last year. Since you were open. Since yeah, 1977. Yeah, since you were open. To, to today. What right, is what your best picture? Wow. My best, right, my best picture. Uh, well, like I said, I mean, I'm a David Lynch fan. And right. uh, Mulholland Drive came out in 2001. And that was one of the things I was going to say earlier. We were renovating the theater and everything. Up in the balcony, there were no seats up there at the time. Uh, and it was very weird because when you see the balcony without any seats, you know, the steps go up a certain way, but the seats are in a different, you know, they, the, their cement is different. Yes. So it was very scary walking up and down because you just didn't know what, didn't know where you were going in a way. And when we were showing Mal Mulholland Drive, we only had one projector that was operational because we were changing projectors. So... Um, and we had to do this for regular movies too. We would tell people that, hey, we got to stop the movie after 40 minutes for just about a minute while he changes the reel and everything. So that's what we had to do with that movie when showing him. And I was in and out of the booth all the time. So I didn't really get to pay too much attention to it. So I was totally lost. But I don't know if anybody's ever seen Mulholland Drive, but that year, that would have been easily my best picture pick. Naomi Watts, who starred in the movie, would have been my best actress. Wow, I gotta watch far. this movie. It's and David Lynch would have been my best director, but I can't remember what the best picture was in 2000. I usually don't agree. I did agree a few years ago. I got very nervous, um, and uh, when uh, La La Land was named best picture. You know, I don't know if you remember, but Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway were up there and they were uh, yes. announcing the best picture. And he looked at it and, you know, kind of paused a minute and, you know, looked kind of funny. And she was saying, you yeah, know, don't be so dramatic. Go ahead and name it. And he went ahead and said, La La Land. And so they all came up there and I'm like, man, that should not have won. It should have been Moonlight. And then suddenly I see people scurrying around, talking to people. And it turns out that they had handed them the wrong envelope. Yes. And indeed, the winner was Moonlight. I remember so, that. Unbelievable. I remember and that, that. I actually had that same feeling that uh, November of that year. I kept thinking that the next morning I was going to wake up, not to get too political or anything, but I kept waking up. I woke up in the morning thinking, maybe when they said Trump won, that was a mistake. <laughs> but the, what, but sorry. what was the name of that movie again? Mulholland Drive. Mulholland? Mulholland Drive. There is a Mulholland Falls, but this is Mulholland Drive. David Lynch deals with dreams. So his movies are very strange. He did Blue Velvet. He did Lost Highway. He did Twin Peaks. Uh, and all of them uh, are, are strange. Interesting. They're interesting. You know, I, I've, I've watched Mahalan Drive probably thirty times. Have you Have you seen this movie? Really? T? Yeah. No, I haven't seen it. Um, uh, but I but I know David Lynch. Oh, right. Yeah. I've seen yeah. Lost Highway. I watched a few seasons. I remember the movie Lost I Highway. See it, but I remember that title. Yeah, Lost, Lost Highway. Highway is is very originally he made Mahalan Drive. It was going to be a TV series, 
much like Twin Peaks was. And he showed it to ABC and they hated it. Wow. And nobody else would, would take it. So it sat around for a year. And then finally he got uh, Studio Canal, a French company, to help uh, fund the movie. He reassembled the, uh, all the cast and finished the movie in a perfect way. Once again, quite similar to, um, it's quite similar to Lost Highway because, you know, it, there's a middle there where things change in Lost Highway and you're like, what the hell is going on in this movie? But once you get what is going on and it may have to be explained to people, it makes sense. But Mulholland Drive has scenes that are unforgettable to me. Well, you know, oh, wow. the other part is the way they make movies nowadays. Um, it seems like they really don't make movies toward the uh, toward the older demographic. It's more toward the younger demographic. Yeah, it's Marvel and movies. And it's now. animated and, you know. It's- well, it's just like I've, I've said, you know, when you see Spartacus and you see that shot of those thousands of soldiers out in the field, they're there. You see it now. They ain't there. No, yeah, it's computer generated. Yeah, you know what? But movies has always been something that's been geared toward the 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 younger audience. It's just that culture has changed. You know, when you look at when Mulholland Drive came out in the early two thousands, that twenty five to you know that twenty to thirty year old uh, was a different type of person. you know, take it back to, to, to the 70s or the, or, or the 60s. The movies that I, you always had your one that's geared toward, you know, the gray, the gray, uh, the gray hairs right. like us. But uh, the majority of them have always been geared toward a younger audience. Well, that's what kind of makes us successful today, because we do show movies that are geared toward the older audience. I mm-hmm. mean. But, you know, with the younger generation uh, taking over soon, uh, not taking over, but having yeah, more influence. Right. Uh, yeah. it, the, the narrow is going to evolve once again, you know, because, you know, when we would put out the program, which I would have to put together and we we'd have advertisers on there and I'm the only one that could everybody I try to tell people. See if you can get an ad. You know, it makes it so much. Nobody can get ads. I'm the only one that can get ads. <laughs> you know, he's the only one that can do it. And I'm like, I don't even want to do it. You know, um, but we put this schedule together every two months, which we've been doing since 1977. List all the films that we know are going to happen, and several of them would be just one nighters, a one night documentary with a specialized speaker, sure. one night art movie with someone from Chrysler Museum introducing or something. Uh, doing different things like that. That is another thing that is probably going to go away because the girls, they don't really want to mess with doing this program. It really kind of became, I would, I don't want to say it became obsolete, but it, it wasn't as effective as it used to be. It wasn't that long ago, less than seven or eight years ago, where we would put out the schedule for a two-month period and we would have a calendar which would have show times for every day of the week for two months. Well, we couldn't do that anymore because... Some movie that we open, sometimes, quite often, distributors demand that when we play their movie, we play only their movie. We can't play another movie. We, we can't add wow. anything like a matinee or something. Huh. And that's too difficult for a single screen theater to do. Um, sometimes we would do it and just hope they don't find out. Well, quite often we would do it. Usually not during the first week, though. Um, or first two weeks. So... Um, 
it's just the the narrow won't be the same narrow that it was, but it'll still be close, basically. You know what would be fun uh, during this uh, pandemic time? You did a lot of creative uh, business deals with the narrow where individuals could pay and bring in friends to watch a movie or your marquee was used for people to like Mike Gooding. Right. Happy birthday to Mike Gooding. Um, I'd be willing to pay if you could find a way to plug this little podcast. Hear Tom Vorlis on <laughs> Bird Mad Media, whatever we could do. That would be awesome. I could, I, I could at least put it on the website. I could do that. Joe Flanagan live. Well, there you go. On, right. Put it on your but browser. yeah, that, that is what got us through the pandemic. And we didn't really start that because when the, it first, you know, when it first happened as everybody else, we thought it was going to be a few weeks, maybe a, a month. Or something like that. We had no idea it was going to be 15 months. Um, and uh, so the girls started doing a popcorn speakeasy, they called it, which they would open the door to enter the theater. Nobody could enter the theater, but they put a counter this, there. This was great. I love yeah, this. and they would sell popcorn, candy, drinks, and everything. And it, it did quite well for a while. Then summer hit, and it got a little sparser because you don't know, get the foot traffic. It's so damn hot in Norfolk. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but not as bad as Florida. Uh, and um, uh, so that was sporadic. But then as Christmas started rolling up, you know, we started getting a lot of people saying, are you going to show us a wonderful life this year? Are you gonna, you know, and we thought about, well, no, I don't think we can do it. Because especially, you know, at that time, the pandemic was raging. Um, so we came up with the idea of let's just rent the theater privately and we'll book the theater through the distributor and just tell them we're going to be showing the sporadic days. Now, this was the weird thing about the uh, governor's policies. If the movie theater was open for real, we could have had 30% capacity or 170 people in there. But if you have a private party, you were only allowed 25 people. And, wow. that, and that even changed to 10 people by the time December rolled around, I think. So, but we did, we were able to rent out the theater. There were several people that said, I don't care how much it costs. I want to see It's a Wonderful Life with an arrow. So there would be quite often we would, uh, you know, show It's a Wonderful Life, just two people. Can I give you a a quick footnote on It's a Wonderful Life? My good friend Cliff Karate last week sent me a new biography about Jimmy Stewart and the whole thing about his World War II experience that he suffered major PTSD. And in that movie, they say, if you really want to see the rage that was inside that man, when he cut loose, screaming at the family and everybody else, that was his PTSD uh, showing itself. That is such a realistic scene. There's no question. That scene and the other one that stands with me is, I think it's after, maybe it's after he gets thrown out of martinis or after he hits the tree or something mm-hmm. but he he runs up to the camera and he's kind of got this yeah you know and right. and, and clarence yes. says something to him and, and he's sweating and he's just got yeah. fear in his eyes that that scene always gets me too but it's and funny biography <laughs> biography said he never wanted to back away from the worst missions he would demand that he's front seat flying those missions over germany and wow they, he did not oh, want yeah. to be treated like a star right yeah a lot, a, a lot of them did, uh, you know, had that that kind of, uh, yeah, um, p- patriotism, and and yep. you know, wanted to do their their share. So, l- let me give you an idea, Tom. 
What do you think, since you missed it last year, of showing It's a Wonderful Life in August as a Christmas in August? No. Well, it fits more. It's more fitting to have a Christmas in July. You know, that's what. The- uh, okay. It, it, <laughs> but, but a Christmas in July show It's a Wonderful Life for everybody who missed it. Well, you know, we had actually, Teresa uh, texted me last week or something and said, you know, we were thinking about showing Christmas movies on Saturday at one. And I wrote back and said, that sounds like an expensive and wacky idea. And she wrote, she wrote back to me and said, well, you mentioned it a few months ago. And I'm like, Oh, I did. I don't even remember doing that, but yeah, we had thought about that, but um, I, I, my, one of my problems is it, if I show an old classic during July and August, my man, Mal Vincent would not be happy. He, he, Hey, I love Mal. But he's pretty self-centered. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he's all freaked out already because he doesn't think we're going to get the newspaper publicity that we used to. His radio show is no longer on. We're not doing wow. the program, although I am doing a small flyer that we are going to mail out explaining to people uh, that this could possibly be the last flyer. And from now on, they have to go to narrowcinema.com or Facebook or get on our e-list for weekly updates. Um, but all of his films will be on there with the schedule. So he, that did appease him on that, but he's uh, afraid that he's not going to get the sellout that he always wants to have. And I just told him, I said, Mal, I can tell you right now, you're not going to get sellouts. There's still a lot of people that are resistant to going into a movie theater. And I certainly cannot blame them, even though they've been vaccinated. You just don't know what's out there. And it was very weird for me when we were in Disney world that, um, on a Tuesday night, I felt a little, ooh, I'm allergic to cats. And <laughs> luckily, it doesn't transfer. I felt a little something in my throat right here. And then the next day, it got a little bit bigger, but it was still, it was never a really big cold mm-hmm. or anything, which is what I, but when I got it, I'm like, did I get the variant? And not only that, it was like, wow, this is the first time I've felt anything in a year and a half. I mean, I've been wearing a mask. Yes. I haven't been sick for so long. I forgot what it was like. Yep. And But I still have residual cough from that. But that's always what happens when I get a cold. I'll have a cough for like another month after that. Mm-hmm. Slightly. Well, we'll have to do we'll have to do a second uh, coming yeah. on uh, the narrow. But I want to yep. get I want to get into the Beatles. How how yep. did uh, the Beatles become such a popular? Let me just say this uh, for our podcast audience: if we start the Beatles, yeah. we could go another fifty. <laughs> I, I texted Gooding and but said, "Hey, join in," but he didn't answer back. I have uh, electrician do in five minutes podcast oh. audience. So if I'm the bad boy that cuts this thing shorter, blame it on me. But uh, take a vote. Do you guys want to? Keep rolling and me bail out or no, what? No, I mean, you're, you're the show. <laughs> Joe, yeah. you got an electrician coming yeah. in five minutes. I'm shocked. Oh. <laughs> and I had really, asked, uh, you know I had invited <laughs> Come on, Mike Gooding. I, I have no desire. You know what? We're going to end it right now with that. Yes. Uh, because well, that was just, really horrible. This show's as been so <laughs> as uh, Dick Nixon once said, let me say this about that. <laughs> I invited uh, Mike Gooding to come on because he is a Beatle expert as well as uh, Tom Vorlis. And I just now see a note coming from Gooding. 
what are you talking about here? He has no <laughs> clue what I was doing to invite him over here. All right, look, I could, and it would, and we'd go a long I, time. I, I, I'll, I'll come back for a Beatle thing. I was gonna say, yeah, you, we should do that because that would be uh, that would be awesome. Because now you know fun. me, I'm 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 all about music. Oh, so man, we're gonna right. start talking about the oh, Beatles. Yeah. And, and, we can start talking about them in the lab, which is the oh, same when will that uh, when will the new there? movie come out, Tom Vorlis? The new movie was scheduled to come out. Um, uh, Last year in September got postponed till this late August. It, it is Peter Jackson's new version of oh, right. "Let It Be." It's crazy calling the Beatles "Get Back" because he was he, they allowed him to take all this footage and make a whole new movie. Um, but it was bought by Disney, and oh. uh, which was already <laughs> trouble. And now they are foregoing the theatrical release and doing a Disney Plus three night event two hours each, which is in the long run is better for me. Although I would love to see it in a movie theater. Yeah. Um, but, uh, it's, uh, it's going to be a six hour get back or five and a half hours, whatever. So would that be a month from now? That happens, that happens now, uh, over Thanksgiving. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, that far away. We got no, plenty we got, of time. We got week. Oh, uh, and then, and then I'm assuming, time, I'm assuming this is so interesting because they're probably going to tie in with doing a, uh, a one-year delayed 50th anniversary box set of the Let, Let It Be album. Mm -hmm. Which because, makes sense. Uh, yeah, because yeah. they're doing the All Things Must Pass uh, in August. Right. A one-year delayed with a 5.1 surround mix, which, you know, and I get all that junk. You know, I got the Lennon box, the, all the, the yeah. Pepper I, and White I, album. And, you know, I, and then I'm sure they'll go back and start doing Revolver and Rubber Soul, too, eventually, because uh, George Martin's son, oh, yeah. Giles, handles all that stuff we will definitely do chapter two of tom volis this has been so yes, fun it's absolutely. awesome uh, you're such a sorry, great interview. sorry i talked I so no much idea you could talk like <laughs> you know, that. Hey. i thought you were shy uh, yeah, I, I was I was getting I was getting ready to say, Joe, what are we gonna do? This was only a five minute interview. And, <laughs> right. Yeah, unfortunately, right. Tom doesn't really have a whole lot of stories to tell. <laughs> let, me, let me say this, and Tom, you know, you you have uh, really um, oh, I've got, the word just left me, but but you have really done what we have set out to do, and that is to find people uh, and to interview people that are passionate mm -hmm. about what they do. And man, it's so exciting to see how you have since 1977, yeah, all these years kept that passion mm -hmm. and you yeah. still have it. Now mm -hmm. you say you're shy, but buddy, you may be shy standing in a party somewhere <laughs> Sipping a a, a gin and like, like Johnny Carson. That's what. Yeah, it is. there you <laughs> go. Shy like turn, that, turn that red light on and yeah, I'm man. And when, yeah, you get time a radio show. When yeah. you're talking about your passion, which is the narrow theater and film, yeah, and and history, love hearing those about things. It. You are you are right on, and this well, is just you. a fantastic. Matter of fact, we've just uh, decided you're going to be part of the gang and come every week as we interview. Oh, people. Lord. And oh, they, they, there'll be nobody to interview. Little humor. Tom's got there, a little humor. <laughs> I'll be taking over. It's a Tom Borla show. <laughs> so well, we'll, we could have one. Tom and the gang. Tom and the gang. Wait a minute. Gang, wait, right. a minute wait a minute. I, I need to ask one quick question. Uh -oh. Are there any narrows in other places? No. There is a narrow uh, town in Italy. But there are no other narrows. You know, we did have narrow video for are a there, while next door, but uh, that was it. 
Are there any uh, any other movie theaters? Like oh yours? yes, art little art theaters. All yeah, they're they're, the they're around. They're all around the country. They're not as many as they okay. used to be because they're like me. They're waiting for the money, and some of them didn't have the funds <laughs> reserved to survive this thing. So I don't know what's going right. to happen. Yeah, just to, just like with a lot of other small businesses. Yeah, I mean, it was not only for movie theaters. Actually, it was that bill was written for live music venues and theaters. Um, museums and specifically independent movie theaters so you had to have less than like 50 employees or something to qualify gotcha. so amc and regal and all them couldn't qualify for it good but you know amc is doing great because whatever that thing was with the game stock you know sent their stock story. oh wow so, right. right awesome just totally, fantastic totally stuff yeah. totally Thank enjoyable you, and i'm glad everybody participated <laughs> I, uh, the Full electrician is about to ring yeah. the doorbell, so I'll uh, head on out. But let's have a round of applause hey, for Tom hey, Borlas, ladies hey. and gentlemen, and to you all. boys Thank and girls. And we will do this again, Chapter 2. Tom, thank, thank you, you so much. Chapter 2, The Beatles. The Beatle right. Years. <laughs> and music. Tom Borlas, The Beatle Years. Right. That's right. <laughs> All right, gang. All right, guys. Ooh. Thank you so much. Wow. Awesome. Right. That really, really was a lot of fun. It really loved really it, was. Tom. Yeah, good. Aren't you glad? Loved it, loved it, loved it. Aren't you glad now, there, uh, Mr. Torres, that you uh, that you were home? <laughs> yeah. Even though well, you forgot. Where am I going to be? I just, yeah, I forgot. I mean, what do you want? I, 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 had, a, I had a few shots of Gentleman Jack last night. All right. uh, I, I decided, you know what? I got nothing to do today. And then I get a phone call from John. It's like, hey, you got to do today. I, like, oh, I, I forgot about that. I had a few yeah. shots of Johnny Walker Blue. So that was hey, there you go. Oh, hey, Don't worry about it next week. Yeah, Alfredo. We're not doing you, anything you next week. You know what, 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 what got me when he called me was like, wasn't I the one who suggested to do something this week? Oh my God, I'm an idiot. All right. Thanks, All Tom. right, guys. All right, man. All right, take care, Tom. That's it. Hey, Thank you, Tom. Okay. Great stuff. Thank you. Thank you.